Digital Marketing Radio, episode 216. Marketing attribution for the real world. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Broadcasting live on the Digital Marketing Radio Facebook page, this is the weekly show that prizes actionable advice from today's top digital marketers. Catch up with all the previous episodes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain Hello, I'm David Bain and today I'm joined by a man who, following 10 years working for brand, agency, consultancy, data-led positions, is now building a marketing attribution platform, helping brands to truly understand how customers interact with their business. Welcome to DMR, Russell McCaithy. Hi, David. Hi, Russell. Okay, good to have you on here. Well, you can find Russell over at cubed.ai. Nice domain name, Russell. Thank you. So um, I tell you what, I first heard of marketing attribution about 11, about 11, about five years ago. And I was really astounded by it. And I thought, oh, this is going to be the next massive thing in terms of insight. But I, I feel that nothing that much has happened in terms of day-to-day marketers and, and perhaps even even professional analysts uh, really using it. Is, 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 that, is that fair or, or am I missing something there? I think you're right. There's there's been a few cycles that we've gone through over the last sort of six seven years since attribution became a, a term that people were using. Um, so the first lot came around when we moved from what was kind of known as multi-channel analytics, um, and then Google Analytics brought in elements of starting to have that understanding of multi-touch. That was about five, six years ago. And that's probably when a lot of people like ourselves came about and said, look, this is something that should be really important, but we've not got the data we actually need today to be able to make this a, an actionable daily thing. Um, and then we've gone through a through cycle. So we've gone through the, the, the bit where you can see the touch points and you can count how many times each channel has, has gone in certain orders. Um, and that was rolled out and then big brands bought into that and it was put into dashboards. But you're completely right. One of the biggest issues that still remains today, actually, is the, the actionability of, of the data set that comes from attribution. What we found over the last sort of two, three years is that it's not just about the visuals and the graphs that are created by having this understanding the output that you can get to now is this is the attributed CPA by all of the dimensions that you want to be able to get it at. So to a campaign level, ad group keyword level in PPC, what affiliates are contributing, start of the journey, end of the journey, middle of the journey. Um, and the big thing that a lot of people have focused on, especially in the last couple of years, is display and understanding the value of uh, a single display impression. And, and that's been the core focal point for a, a lot of the people in the marketplace. However, I think to get attribution at the forefront, as, as you say, across a lot of the things that are going on in, in the digital marketing landscape, it needs to not just be about display. It needs to be about taking brands away from a siloed view, which is the, the sort of the, another saying that is used all the time. Um, and mm. it needs to be moved into a, a conversation about audience-based targeting and how to, you can buy an audience more effectively uh, in an attributed world. What about in a couple of years' time? Can you imagine the majority of digital marketers using attribution or some kind of attribution analysis as the initial source of data that they go to look at? I think that within channel, tactically, that's exactly what will happen. Um, and then the smarter strategic marketers who 
are budget holders or budget decision makers. They're the ones who will be using attribution. I feel like it will take some time to mitigate down to the full marketplace. Um, and I, I'm basing that purely on the use of data in business today. We've had analytics for over a decade now, or digital analytics or web analytics or whatever people want to call it this week. Um, mm. But we've had that for over a decade. And the, that still is underused, undervalued uh, in a lot of organizations. So I feel like it's the more advanced and smarter marketers that are going to be transitioning into uh, a true data-led multi-channel view of, of the activity, both from a strategic perspective in the sense of how the channels work together and moving a business away from the single view of a, a channel and into a world where they're then focused on uh, specifically how do I target this type of audience who is going to buy five times with me? How do I decrease my overall cost per acquisition of a customer, et cetera, et cetera? We're a few years into it now, as, as, as we discussed. So what do you think has stopped marketing attribution becoming mainstream so far? Um, the big issue is that within organizations, it's a, it's a massive culture shift and it's a psychological shift for the senior management to say, I'm not going to look at just the amount of money we spend today and compare that to the amount of money we make today. We're going to go and buy an audience that is going to convert in a week, two weeks, three weeks, two months time. And that's where we're going to put our money. Now, the interesting thing is that a lot of people in finance already understand this. And so the champions in a business that I normally relate to the most are the finance director or head of finance because they get the concept of invoice lag and buying some money here and it will be transferred across to a, a, another place. So for, for businesses, it's that change of we want to be able to understand and have data to prove that that's the case but that's not an overnight thing and there is a buy-in process um, the other side of it is that typically a lot of organizations haven't had to spend a lot of money on data and analytics now we've seen that shift in the last five years so people have started to invest money in their own data or they've brought in external partners to, to surface data or create data for them um, but it's still uh, a really undervalued element within most organizations, although that is quick to change. And, and we've just seen a few rollouts of, of buzzwords in the industry, the DMP that sort of came out last year as a buzzword that people kind of went, we need a DMP without really knowing what it was. Um, that will happen again. And we will see again, these cycles of people starting to understand the value of data and how they can make much better decisions if they have the right data, not just more. And talking about buzzwords, I suppose marketing attributions may even be considered to be a buzzword as well. So um, what if someone hasn't heard of marketing attribution before? Can you think of a phrase that you can use to quickly and just easily explain what it actually is? It's uh, the example I give is that uh, you, if you were to go and buy a washing machine, you do you don't just think of the exact type of washing machine you want to go and buy, and you can just say Hotpoint HP seven four nine six and go to a website and buy it. As everyone is a consumer of some kind, so from a consumer's perspective, attribution is saying every time that you speak to a brand, you engage with a brand, that has some value to the brand in knowing how effective what they're giving you is. Um, and therefore, 
when we're as marketers trying to say what is the value of the activity we're doing it's not just about that final conversion we want to have an understanding of the the relationships we have with affiliates the display creative we're putting out that will never convert those ppc generic terms that we're paying for that we know has such a low conversion rate that it doesn't look profitable to our business however over a long period of time that's exactly what we want to be able to invest into we want to invest in those people who aren't going to convert on the single visit because the majority of brands especially in e-coms uh, or, or businesses that, that they have a conversion rate of sort of one percent that means that 99 percent of people who have come to the website in that day have not converted and we need to have an understanding about did we cater for that individual and did we give the value that we needed to give them in the sense of did we give them the, the, the content that we needed to provide to take them on that journey to convert in the future? Are we effective as a brand at doing that? Okay, I, you mentioned touch points, various touch points of individuals, and it's quite the norm, I guess, for someone not to just visit a website and then make a purchase immediately. And I guess it would be normal for someone to visit a website multiple times before coming back and making that final decision to actually make a purchase. How do you actually define the value of each touch point? Do you, do you favour a standard attribution model that you already set up, or... Is each business a little bit different and do you need to really define your own bespoke attribution model? So this was one of the cycles we've gone through in attribution. So historically, there was the conversation of pick a model and go through the process of saying, do we want to in, uh, bring up and value the likes of time decay or is it that the, we want to value the first type of interaction over ones that happen during the journey? Um, I think every single, uh, the larger of the companies that are, are organizing sort of attribution models at the moment, um, and that's where the investment has been, has been in machine learning or at least an algorithmic uh, data-driven route. Um, and what that means is that instead of a person who sits in a lab deciding what the value is and they apply that to all of their clients, it's actually driven by the way that consumers are engaging with the brand right now. Um, now, the complexity of that is dependent on the company that uh, is doing the, the attribution model, um, and there are many factors that should be taken into consideration, and then there are many factors that may be taken into consideration. Um, and what we need to do is, one, be not black boxed about it. So we need to be clear about what's included and, and being able to communicate that and say, this is the value that uh, time on site, or this is the value of the decay between the, the lag between visits, or this is the value of an impression when it's from this campaign on this device. And the level of granularity you're able to go into is the reason why machine learning has become more important. More important. Another buzzword um, that I will use. Um, <laughs> but the the ability to to do the level of uh, data that you'd need to be able to capture to to have a model that does that calculation, you need to include machine learning in that calculation to say we want to understand that level of granularity, um, and that model needs to be able to do those calculations down to that level. 
Okay, so it sounds like an AI-driven model is, is is probably the better way to go. H- hence the domain. <laughs> hence the domain, and that was going to be my... <laughs> Absolutely, yes, yeah, good, good selection. Al- although we call it attribution intelligence, not artificial intelligence, because uh, artificial intelligence is probably one of the biggest buzzwords in the industry, full stop. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess people associate lots of different things with that, N- not necessarily maybe even good or bad, so uh, perhaps you Indeed. don't want to be tied to that. Um, so, I mean, drop, dropping back into data in general, um, what, what would you say are the fundamentals that most businesses struggle to get right and probably need to focus on maybe even before they get to attribution? I, I think one of the, the biggest issues that, that the brands are doing at the moment is that they know or they've started to know that data is important to them. So they go out there and they run RFPs based on a single person in the business's opinion of what's important. Um, and then there are people who uh, are missing out on what is key for their day to day. So, for example, the CRM team will bring in a, a DMP, but they won't include any of the acquisition data. So it's it's great for customers and, and customer service may get a, a massive boost in performance. But the investment in joining all the different departments data together probably would have been better off for them. Um, and equally, the other side of the, the goal from a, an attribution perspective, we see a lot of brands only really wanting to do it for acquisition marketing. And we quickly, during the, the sales process, inform them that it's actually important to look at the entire customer interaction. Um, I think from a brand's perspective, it's really important to say, look, if we are if we are trying to understand the data that's important for us for digital as a in an industry, we need to take the, the step back and say, is the business ready to support this investment? Because it is expensive to do it properly. Do we have the internal expertise? If we don't, do we have the right partners in place already? What partners do we need? And go through quite an intensive specking process because it's a lot more expensive to do it twice than it is to do it once and actually invest in it in the right place. And talking about investments, do you think that most big companies should be thinking of actually getting their own data scientist in the future? Or is it reasonable to be using agencies and third-party software suppliers to, to, to supply everything that is required? I, I think that every company that's spending a significant amount of money a year should have some form of analyst internally. Um, I'm very coy to not say necessarily data scientist. It depends on the complexity that's needed. Um, But uh, there needs to be that outside influence in the same way that uh, the value of an agency is not just to scale, but because you can build scale internally, it's a sharing of knowledge between different clients. So that data science team in a consultancy or agency can provide you with Uh, Things that they've done for other clients that they can port over that you would take either weeks or wouldn't have the necessary skill set to do internally. Um, But then there are bonuses of having that internal knowledge that uh, you would have within a team that you built yourself. So I think there's always a place for the agencies and consultancies in this world, Uh, probably not to the scale it is right now, um, but they will become more specialized and you'll be able to bring them in for that wider knowledge share rather than the actual pure deployment of, of the mass of the work. 
It's, it's quite interesting the way that agencies are going and that obviously there are some agencies that are part of massive groups now and they try and be, to a certain degree, everything to, 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 to everybody. And then you get some really niche, bespoke, independent agencies just doing one thing. And I'm just wondering what, what model is likely to be more successful in five years' time. Did you have any thoughts on that at all? I, I think the niche agencies will uh, continue to win and grow. Um, some of them will join the big networks because the big networks yeah. buy them and they are willing to do that because to they know they need to feed their top line and, and ultimately their bottom line. Um, but the the big agencies for me will remain by doing things like that is act through acquisitions. Um, we've seen a few agencies merge their sub brands recently. I think that's a sign of the model changing. Um, and I feel like the, the brands that I've worked with over the last few years have looked to strengthen the partnerships between different specific skilled agencies. So not having one agency doing all channels from a marketing perspective um, and actually saying, look, we're going to split our channels up between agencies and try to foster a better relationship across agencies, which... As a, a previous consultant, one of my jobs was to get better relationship across agencies. It's not necessarily easy, although mm. I've got a few clients now that, that are doing that and, and we're the analytics element of that um, and we're helping provide the insights and there are two agencies uh, in one of the examples that are working incredibly well together um, and I feel like that's a model that alongside a talented internal team allows brands to, to, to really win. And just one final question in relation to data. What are some sources of data that uh, are rather underutilized at the moment and um, businesses should be thinking of using those sources more often and you, you see those sources becoming more popular over the next couple of years? I think that um, to to go for a, a buzzword answer first, I, I feel like we're we're not even anywhere near five percent of the amount of data that we're going to be at in five years' time, um, mm. because the connected home, the wearables are just going to become more and more popular, um, and that influence on how a brand can understand consumerism is going to be interesting. Uh, especially with GDPR next next year, that's going to be uh, it's either going to close the door uh, for a while at least on what we can do, um, or it's going to just make sure that privacy is a key factor. And if a brand wants to use data like that, it's going to be able to have to get full permissions for it. Um, the other thing is is customer data, so CRM data in use for acquisitions, in the sense of better understanding the customers that you have right now, but using that to understand what kind of customers you want to go after is, is a data set that both the acquisition team don't use CRM data and the CRM team don't use acquisition data anywhere near as enough as they, they should be right now. Well, in a moment, we're going to be moving to the second part of our conversation where I'm going to be asking Russell about the software that he couldn't live without. But first of all, dear viewer, dear listener, have you purchased my copy of Digital Marketing in 2017, the book yet? So 107 digital marketers, all in one book, and all sharing their number one actionable tip for the year. Um, so you can check that out, uh, check out the reviews and grab your copy over at digitalmarketingin2017.com. 
But let us segue over to the second part of our discussion. So that focuses on Russell's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it is heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So, Russell, what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, maybe apart from cube.ai, um, <laughs> it would significantly impact your marketing success? I couldn't live without Todoist. Uh, I... <laughs> I'm incredibly badly organized. Uh, however, about a year ago, Todoist came in and I now complete tasks. Um, and I, I love the software. I've got the premium version um, and I, I use it constantly because it syncs to all my devices as well. So if I'm on the move, I can see what I should be doing <laughs> um, when I'm not moving. And, uh, and then when I'm back in the office or I'm sitting on my laptop somewhere, I can make sure I'm getting the tasks done. Um, and it's really good because you can share to-do lists with other people so um, I can my team will put to-do lists uh, to-do items on my list uh, so that they know it's uh, something that needs to be done. And that's a bit of software that's certainly been around for a while I remember them trying it quite a few years ago so did you experiment with with quite a few um, planning bits of software before deciding on that one? Uh, I, I've used a few over the years, um, but uh, the benefit of being CEO is that I picked the one I wanted to use, um, <laughs> uh, and it's the same when we implemented Slack into the organisation. We've we've used a few things in the past, but um, it was Todoist was the one that that worked right for me, and uh, as the primary user, it's something that. Um, I'd, I'd moved away from other ones and not found them effective over the years. So it's one that uh, I've, I've been using over a year now, which is quite rare for a piece of software like that. Well, here's a slightly more challenging question, and that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try at some point in the near future? Oh, that's a, that a difficult one. I'm terrible at note-taking, so I'm going to go back to something that I've sporadically used over the years, which is Evernote, which I keep on trying to get better at using, but then I jump in and jump out, um, and uh, I really should take better notes. Uh, not that I forget things because I used to do it, but it's the crossover of actually uh, being able to be a, an avid note-taker because I always find that I'm more impressed when someone is taking notes of when I'm saying something, so I probably should uh, reciprocate in some way. Great. Okay, well, I will include links to those two tools in the show notes over at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let us move on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back in the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Um... I wish I actually knew what I was doing rather than blagging it for the majority of my career. Um, how that, That's played out in some ways because I've spent my own money and lost the majority of my own money in, in testing and doing things that uh, I really didn't have a clue to, uh, what to do. Um, but part of that investment was on books as well as spending it in AdWords and and uh, MSN ads and, and uh, whatever it was back in the day. But uh, I've, I've wasted a lot of my own money on uh, website servers. Um, but a lot of that has played out in the long run. And the investment in my own skill set in knowing what's not possible in these platforms as much as what's actually possible has helped me through the sort of the, the, the different roles that I've had over the years uh, to, to be able to say to big agencies, isn't this possible because I've kind of done it and, and have the, that knowledge of 
I, I genuinely would struggle to set up an AdWords campaign properly now. However, I've managed hundreds of millions of pounds of budget uh, over mm. the years. Um, but it, it's it's that willingness to 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 put sort of your money where your mouth is in learning that's been the the sort of the thing that's uh, the, the biggest loss, if that would be. Okay, but so, so by the sound of it, you don't really regret spending money on lots of different things because it's been a great education. But perhaps what you should have done is put stops in earlier when you found things Maybe, weren't really working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Before it ran out of budget and then started taking money more off the credit card, that was probably one of the Great. Okay. Well, let's move on to the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just. Two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion, so use it wisely. You ready okay. to go? Yep. Twitter or Snapchat? Twitter. Facebook or LinkedIn? Facebook. YouTube or Facebook Live? YouTube. Mobile or desktop? Mobile. Website or app? Website. Paid search or SEO? Both. Outreach or advertise? Advertise. Email to one or email to many? Email to one. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Global marketing. Yay! You use your both relatively early, but you still managed to make it to the end there so um it was paid search and seo wasn't it both of them yeah i've done both roles in some form over my career and uh i've got a lot of friends in both camps so uh i'm vested interest in paid search in the short term and seo in the long term because i i feel that Paid search analytics and data is a lot easier today and there's going to be some massive quick wins that we can do to get brands a lot more efficient in in the next sort of year, two years. Um, But SEO analytics is massively behind when it comes to performance and understanding the performance of SEO. And it's something that uh, I've got some ideas of how to solve and we've started working with some great partners on doing that. So I'm stuck in the middle on those two. So do you use paid search as a learning mechanism to improve your SEO over the long term as well? Uh, yeah, I think that uh, brands have been using search term understanding across the both of them for, for many years. But when SEOs lost their, their search data uh, in from an analytics perspective, it took a bit of a, a bump when it starts to say, within a business, how much does SEO contribute? Um, and a lot of the practices historically have have had some nefarious elements behind them um not that you can't do that in ppc but uh the 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 issue is is that google makes their money through ppc so um they're they're investing a lot more of their time and understanding in in those in that channel itself um so seo has taken a bit of a back seat um and in a lot of brands there's a lot that can be done in seo um but the, the data and analytics to say the work that is done by the internal team or the agency in the last month contributed to this exact amount of revenue, um, that typically isn't done. And it's normally about these are the content pieces we produce, these are the links we've got, here is an increase in traffic. Um, and I'm quite passionate about solving that over the next few years. Um, however, 
the data set that we have for paid search is a lot more exciting in the short term and there's a lot more that can be done that's really not being done at the moment and and that's where a lot of my brain power is at the moment in in trying to solve that massive data set and and some really cool insights we'd be able to get off that as well well in terms of paid marketing that ten thousand dollar question if i was to give you ten thousand dollars and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business what would you spend it on and how would you measure success I would use Cube to measure my success um, and uh, I would spend it in uh, remarketing people who had already been to your website and not yet converted Um, and I would spend through the roof on pretty much everyone like that. So I would spend it in a combination of RLSA campaigns, Facebook remarketing ads and and basically targeting people who have already got a brand awareness of you online um, and trying to get them to come back to the website or for existing customers to reacquire them if that business model worked. My number one takeaway. Well, Russell, you've offered a lot of great uh, advice in our conversation, but um, what is the number one takeaway? What's the single most um, important piece of advice that um, our listeners just should take away and implement uh, in their own business? I think going back to something that you grabbed onto earlier was the how do brands actually change and how do they get into this kind of mindset and I and I wrote about the middle of funnel and I genuinely think that if we move away from focusing on the bottom of funnel and the top of funnel is the two things that brands do so they do the bottom of funnel to convert and they do the top of funnel to drive brand awareness I genuinely think with a better psychological shift in the business to say who is not going to convert today but will convert in the next month, that's the middle of funnel. And if businesses can start to understand that by using uh, micro conversions on their website, setting up their analytics better so they can understand what people are doing when they come to the website and don't convert, brands will be able to move investment to those kind of people. And, And because of the shape of the funnel, there is a lot of people there. So if you start to invest in that area, there's going to be a a massive increase in incremental value over a long period of time. But it's that change of the psychology in the organization to say we're willing to take that, what is a risk, on those kind of people who will convert in coming weeks to come. Great advice. Well, um, that takes us to the end of our discussion. So thank you so much for your time and your advice. Uh, What's the best way for a listener to find out more about you and what you do? Uh, so I'm on Twitter at the Rusty Bear, um, or you're willing to send me an email at russell at cube.ai, or I'll come on the website and there's a contact form there as well. Wonderful. So thank you to Russell and thank you to your listener too. If you have an opinion of what Russell shared today, tell us what you think. So the Facebook page is facebook.com slash digital marketing radio. You can tweet me at David Bain. And remember to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. So you can do that at digitalmarketingradio.com slash iTunes for iPhones or digitalmarketingradio.com slash Android for Android devices. But until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. Adios.